Gary, uh, it was at a bar in Pasadena. Okay. And I was with Mindy Calaguire. It was really Gary and Mindy are very good friends. Uh-huh. And they're very close to Dallas. They were very close to Dallas Willard. And mm-hmm. so Mindy and I were there at Fuller Theological Seminary. We, mm-hmm. I had just started working for the company Glue. I had just started working mm-hmm. for Mindy. And Mindy calls me up one night after kind of the, the daily grind was done. And she's like, what are you doing tonight? And I, I'm like, I'm here in Pasadena with you mm-hmm. and the team. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm doing. She's like, well, come with me and we're going to go meet a friend. And I didn't know who this friend was. So we show up in this bar in Pasadena and it's Gary Black. And uh, I, I'm just sitting there. I don't know him and I don't know who he is. And all of a sudden they start talking about Dallas and it comes out that he's the co-author of Divine Conspiracy Part 2. Right. And um, and I'm sitting there going, okay, who am I, Lord, that you would have me sitting here with these <laughs> right. two people? And then... And, you know, at that point, Dallas had passed away. And so they started basically grieving and mourning his loss in front of me. And I'm sitting here going, you guys knew him well, like not, it was amazing. And I'm just sitting there with chills thinking, who am I that I get to sit here, Lord? Like, what the heck? (laughs) So that's how I met Gary. (laughs) For those of you who are listening, who are wondering who we're talking about. You've heard me mention Dallas Willard. He's my favorite Christian philosopher, incredible yeah. author. And yeah. he was, he co-wrote at least one book, I think two. And then I think Gary Black Jr. actually wrote a, another book about Dallas Willard. Yeah. You got to meet him. Yeah. And which is amazing. And so I've yeah. always pictured Gary Black Jr. I've, I've never Googled him. Don't know how old he is. I've always pictured him as um, a guy who was about 38 years old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> with a mustache, thick black hair. Yeah, yeah. Is is that close? Uh, he was older than that when I met him. Um, and this would have been probably like 2017, 2018. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. we walk in and, and Mindy had told me he's a, he's a professor at the Honors College at Azusa Pacific. That's when mm-hmm. I met him. Yep. And APU is close to, to Pasadena. Mm-hmm. In Pasadena? I don't know. Anyway, I, I walk in and, and he's sitting there at a high, high table. Yeah. With his laptop open and his his glasses down, you know, his reading glasses down, <laughs> looking very scholarly and very profess, uh-huh. professor yeah. like. Yeah. I, I would, I probably would put him around. He probably was around 45, 50 years old at that point. So, okay, okay. yeah, <laughs> amen. amen. Yeah, it's a joy. <laughs> this, is, this is Mark Paulson, who I met through a. We have a mutual friend named Amar. He was on the podcast. And Omar, you know, if you've watched our episode or if you've heard me talk about him, he's the happiest and friendliest guy in the world. And he loves connecting people. <laughs> and he started this small group for that was online for people who have started stuff. That's how I met Mark. And me and Mark, it turns out, actually switched homes. I live in Massachusetts. You used to live in Massachusetts. And now you're, right. in the, you're in Colorado where I used to be. That's right. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us where in Colorado you are. So I am smack between Denver and Boulder. So there's the Denver Boulder Turnpike, which is 36. Mm-hmm. I am halfway between both. So 20 minutes to Boulder, 20 minutes to Denver in a suburb called Broomfield. Uh, yes. The Highway 36 right coming into Boulder is one yep. of my favorite views in all of Colorado. Oh, yeah. It's 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 uh, it's breathtaking. You uh-huh. get to that oh, scenic overlook. Uh-huh. They have a turnoff right there. You can hop off. You can take all your pictures. People do it all day, every day. Uh-huh. It is gorgeous. And that... avoid Boulder altogether. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
Actually, I, I have a bias uh, towards Boulder, and we could talk about that. But yeah, so uh, to answer your question a little bit about my story, I'm a pastor's kid, so we moved around a little bit. First, uh, I'd say first half of my childhood was spent in North Dakota. Um, oh, okay. I was born in Minnesota when my dad was in seminary, lived in North mm-hmm. Dakota for 10 years. Mm-hmm. He served two churches. The first one, uh, um, it's interesting now that I think about it, I'm thinking that every successive move I've made has been to a bigger location, more more people. So we started out in Mayville, which is this little water cooler, water tower town, yep. railroad tracks, tiny. In North Dakota. In North Dakota. Then we moved to Bismarck and he served a church there for six years. And then we moved to Rhode Island and moved to a suburb of Providence called Cranston. It okay. was... It was m- Enough culture shock to give me whiplash, you know this <laughs> this country bumpkin like German farm town North Dakotan with the with the accent moves uh-huh. to eighty five percent Italian Rhode Island uh, Cranston in particular, and suddenly I don't understand almost anything anyone's saying to me, and uh, everyone's related. And no one looks like me, no one talks like me, and I'm just this weird kid from who knows where. Mm-hmm. And that's where I spent my my middle school years and high school years. Um, it was in Rhode Island. It was in Rhode Island, yep. yep. And, and then it, you ended up in Massachusetts. I will say, yep. I've been to Rhode Island one time, and even going from Massachusetts to Rhode Island was a culture shock. Like yeah. Denver to Massachusetts <laughs> was a culture shock. Massachusetts, <laughs> the one day we spent in Rhode Island, I was like... Uh, <laughs> where are we? everybody was dressed like they were going to watch a polo match and I was or the Kentucky Derby. I was like, where, 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 did, where did you go? Where did you go to Newport? We were in Newport where we okay. did the cliff walks over there and saw the yeah. gigantic mansions and yeah. the Gats, the mansion that was filmed in uh, the great Gatsby was there. Yes. It was awesome. Yes. My wife grew up in Newport. Uh, she's a Navy brat. So she kind of grew up a lot of places, but her yeah. primary place was in Newport. My father-in-law was a retired as a captain in the Navy. He taught at the Naval War College there. He taught strategy. Oh, wow. And my father-in-law's a whole nother topic. I would love to talk about him because he is he was literally Tom Cruise and Top Gun. That was his his job yes. in the Navy. He was a That's he was a fighter awesome. pilot. Yeah. Uh-huh. And That's crazy awesome. wonderful, amazing man. I'm so blessed mm-hmm. that he was my father-in-law. So yeah. He, yeah. Amen. Anyway, so I know Newport. Newport's a little different than the rest of Rhode Island, though. I will really? say that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the culture in Newport is its own. Um, it's, it's driven largely by the military population there, as well as the islanders. Those who live there on the island, Aquidneck Island, they, they yeah. don't leave the island. They, they stay on the island. Uh-huh. They've never been to Providence. They will never go to Providence. They don't. <laughs> It's very we're interesting. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why do we need to leave the island? <laughs> yeah, we're good. We're good. We like our spot. Yeah. So you end up, you go from Rhode Island. When did you move into Massachusetts, Mass- like the Framingham, yeah. Framingham Northborough area? So I actually went to Massachusetts for my undergrad. I went to Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Worcester. Yeah, um, okay. And I, that's where I got my bachelor's in right. electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I met my wife. She went to University of Rhode Island. And uh, we got married right after college. Um mm-hmm. You know, she graduated in, and I graduated both in May of 95. We were married by Thanksgiving of 95. And that's, it's right around then that we moved up to Massachusetts because I was in high tech. And uh-huh. of course, you cannot escape the gravitational pull uh, for high tech in Boston. So that's no, where you we can't. Uh huh. Yep. And 
now you've lived in Colorado how long? We ended up, uh, we moved here in 2005. So I worked for a very small company in Hopkinton, Massachusetts mm-hmm. called the EMC. Maybe you've heard of it. I've seen it. Yep. Uh, and now it's Dell EMC. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing, amazing place to work. I really never thought I would leave. Um, uh-huh. They paid for a master's degree for me at Brandeis University in Waltham. Mm-hmm. When I when I was nearing completion of that, uh, Beth and I just felt like we were getting some desire to move. We we weren't really sure why. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the Boston winters are long. You, you might know that, and, um, and people hi- gray. hibernate. They're gray. It's it's uh, and uh, mm-hmm. so. We, we started to explore where, where do we want to go and um, humoring my wife who grew up on the East Coast, everything Navy, East Coast. And so I said, well, OK, we can try and find, you know, someplace family friendly to raise our kids. At that point, we had four kids mm-hmm. and um, and I threw one lowly resume to Colorado and uh-huh. I did. I mean, it was I, I knew the odds were good. Uh-huh. And they bit hard and they flew yeah. us out. They flew us out again uh-huh. and full court press. And before long, I, you know, we were sitting at our kitchen table. Our seven-year-old Eden, our oldest, is sitting there and we're trying to make this decision. Do we stay or do we go? And if mm-hmm. if you unpack my my Clifton strengths, my top five, uh-huh. you'll you'll understand there's no way I could ever rip my wife away from family and friends. Uh-huh. I couldn't displace her ever. Unless she was 1 million percent all in and Eden, Eden's listening to Beth and I talk and she goes, I feel like God's telling us we're supposed to move to Colorado. Hold that thought. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You're feeling led to move. Yeah. So I just looked at Eden like, uh, is this out of the mouth of babes? <laughs> and and I looked at Beth and she was like, it sounds like a great adventure. <laughs> Inside, she's feeling like, no. Yeah, because like, if you're, I'm, at least my wife, she grew up yeah. up here. It's yes, like, mine, mine too. The, yeah. the East Coast like holds you. Oh, yeah. What, what is it about that? that? The East Coast just like you can't leave. It's, it's, uh, it's family. It's, I mean, uh-huh. my, my wife. My wife's mom was one of five daughters, and those five daughters all went and had at full a lot of kids. So my, the number of my wife's cousins that are in Massachusetts between Boston, Rocks, West Roxbury, um, uh, Franklin, Milford, like a million cousins. And so it's like I just could never move her away from there. Uh-huh. But lo and behold, we're driving across the United States with our, uh-huh. you know, our stuff and moving to Colorado in 2005. So we got here in wow. June, May, okay. May of June. And that was another story. God rolled out the red carpet once we finally made that decision in faith. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah. that was probably the very first um, learning moment, like real solid learning moment where I had, we had a choice. We could, we could make a decision in fear mm-hmm. or we could make a decision in faith. Right. And in that very dark time that we were presented with this opportunity to stay at EMC, EMC matched the offer I got here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So like the, it was all things being equal. Yeah. Are you going to move or are you going to stay? And yeah. in the end, the decision I firmly believe did not come down to, do we stay or do we go? 
the the decision was simply are you going to move in fear or are you going to move in faith yeah, you can yeah. make the either choice yeah yeah and i'm going to bless either choice if it's made in faith but if you make it in fear you kind of take a bunch of stuff off the table that right. could happen right right, right. so we made that just i mean all all things being equal we were very afraid to move uh -huh. and a fear-based decision would have had us stay there right. because everything we know and love is here. Why would right. we leave it? And right. uh, we made a faith-based decision and we were like, we don't know anyone. <laughs> we don't know anything. I just know there's mountains there and man, that's in my soul. So uh -huh. you're like, I like, get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you get it. That'll give me something to think about later because everything I know and love is in Colorado. Yeah. I was born there, raised there, never yeah. lived except when I was in college. I never lived more than, 15 minutes from my parents' house and moving up. So this is the first time I've really moved away from home. And, that's big. Um, so that's, that's going to be something to like process and think. Cause we've only been yeah. here 10 months now, I think 10 months. 10 months. Has, okay. It hasn't even been, it hasn't even been a year. Yeah. Um, and it brings with it. I got to know though, which is better Colorado <laughs> or Massachusetts. Oh my man. Oh gosh. Um, you know, I, it's hard to say either is better. I, I love Colorado. I will say that. I love Colorado. Um, and at the same time, it took me five years to feel like Rhode Island was home, but it becomes home. And once you're, once it's home and you have the friends there, like there's, it is, it's wonderful. So I, we love going back to, to Rhode Island beaches. We love going back, seeing friends. There are dear, dear friends in Massachusetts and Rhode Island that we love. Yeah. Um, and we get to spend actually a whole day with some of our friends here in a week. I think they're yeah. flying out here. They're going to hang out with us here. All right. um, but I, I, I mean, Colorado, you know, <laughs> this, this just, the, the correct this answer is Colorado. The correct answer is 100% yes. Colorado. I it's love Colorado. You stay out of Denver. <laughs> like, I you love it. Yeah, yes. Stay out of Denver is the best. Like, no doubt. You get beautiful snow and then it melts. Yeah. It's always sunny. The mountains, the mountains, you know, since I grew up there, it was like, ah, the mountains. Yeah. Now I have the, they're far away. I'm like, oh, the mountains. There's no humidity. Um, there's, there's few bugs. No humidity. Very few bugs. I have 14 mosquito bites on my ankle right now from some mosquitoes. <laughs> 14. We counted. Oh, like, I'm never wearing shorts again. No. Yeah. I'm never wearing shorts. I love it um, here. My wife yeah. has said any number of times, I guess we're never leaving Colorado. <laughs> That's up to God to decide. Yeah. I'll go where he leads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amen. It's a hard place to leave. Hard it is. Leave. And yeah. so tell your work, you were working in high tech and you recently started out on this new venture. Yeah. You want to tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. The name of the company is People First Operations. Mm -hmm. uh, that came from a, a woodworking session in front of my house where I was mm -hmm. kind of journeying with the Lord in the mm -hmm. recesses of your mind. And he's mm -hmm. kind of reminding you of who you are and what you're good at and mm -hmm. where your passions are. And I, I had been uh, at that point in time, I probably had been leading a software engineering team, building a new product for probably about four years and uh, loved it. I loved my people that worked for me. I loved working as a little bit out ahead and driving in very interesting work and enabling people to live into their strengths and their passions. And 
set them up for success and um, servant lead. Basically, I had leaders above me that let me lead the team the way I always felt was the right thing. And they weren't micromanaging me and telling me I was doing it wrong or anything. They were like, we think you're, you're set up to be a great leader and we just want to support you in that. So I had that above me and it was a beautiful thing. And I ended up, I didn't know it. And I, I use this tagline. I'm not sure I'm the craziest about it for people first operations, but what I realized was over that course of a few years, uh, Every, more engineers were coming to me and saying, do you have any positions open? Mm -hmm. Do you, when you do come and talk to me, cause I want to join your team. And that happened more than once. And I, I started to think, wait, did I do that? Did I build a team that everybody wanted to join? And, and sure enough, it was like, I just, it was you, when you lead with godly principles of mm -hmm. kindness and love and faith, hope, and it, it, it produces wonderful mm -hmm. fruit. And people yeah. see it and they want to be a part of it. So, yeah. so people first operations is about how do I, how do I bring what I learned to bear in the lives of other leaders and help mm -hmm. them to lead in that way too. So mm -hmm. it's coaching, it's consulting. I'm mm -hmm. building some, uh, I'm building some workshops, development workshops that I'll give in person, but at the same time thinking about doing some digital online course development of those things. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. Um, so I, I've got a couple questions about leadership from you, um, sure. because leadership is very, very important. And I actually, I like your tagline. I like the tagline <laughs> that you just said. Cool. Um, there, it reminds me, there's a guy at the church up here who runs a leadership coaching business on the side called leaders that are loved. Okay. And it's, it's very effective. It's very, it's awesome. And, um, it, I'm going to have to go look it up, look him up. <laughs> yeah, it it reminded me of that, of what you just said. And so, one, I'll ask you just easy question: What's your favorite leadership book or three leadership oh, yeah. books? Because I'm, okay. I'm not much of a leadership book kind of guy. I've got uh -huh. a few that I liked, and the rest I was like, ah. Um, yeah. I love First and Second Samuel as leadership books. Cool. Uh, First and Samuel Daniel, especially. Uh, and Daniel, did you say? And Daniel. Oh and Daniel. my goodness! Yep. Yeah. Nehemiah. Yep. Um, Liked Jocko Willing's book, Extreme Ownership. It's a very good one. Those were so you got the biblical books, the regular books. There's a book called Theodore Roosevelt on leadership, which I really loved. And then that one was that the one you're going to say? No, no. But I know you and Theodore Roosevelt. And I will say, last fall, my wife and I got to go uh, out to um, Glenwood Springs, and we stayed at his hotel. So. Mm -hmm. There, it's All like right. a shrine to Teddy there. Amen. So that was awesome. <laughs> well, the first chapter of that book is yeah. cease to be afraid. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. Oh, yeah. Um, like, mm -hmm. yeah. That's awesome. So first, so, be like leadership resources. And then yeah. what would you say? I I'm also curious about your Clifton five, your top five Clifton strengths. Okay. You, had, you mentioned earlier. And then we'll start there. But then what's kind of your leadership style? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the books that I love there, I have quite a long list, so I haven't published the list on my website yet. It's, mm -hmm. it's there. It's just not put out, but mm -hmm. I would say obviously book number one is the Bible that will always be book number one. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take some Liberty and take three other books besides the Bible. Um, 
I would say for a long time, one of my absolute favorites was the Leadership Challenge by Kuzis and Posner. Um, okay. I've never heard of that. In in that book, they describe the five practices of an exemplary leader, mm-hmm. which are model the way, inspire a shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act, and encourage the heart. And okay. um, I would say that for a long time, you read Jim Collins' Good to Great book, mm-hmm. and he kind of gets to the end, and, and, and he says, a lot of people ask me what makes a level five leader, and I can identify him, but I'm not really sure what makes them a level five leader. I think mm-hmm. he has some better answers than that now. Um, but I would say the more, the more you do those five practices in a day, then someone else makes you more like a level five leader. Um, so I love that book. Uh, another book that I really love is, um, is Henry, Dr. Henry clouds, um, leaders, boundaries for leaders, phenomenal leadership book. And the third one, which I don't know if you've, if you've read it, um, David L. David Marquette wrote a book called Turn This Ship Around. And uh-uh. it, he was a Navy submarine captain. And when I read that book um, and saw how he portrayed his leadership as a Navy sub captain coming onto a sub that was the worst performing boat in the fleet. Mm-hmm. And he turned that ship around, the name of the book, mm-hmm. to becoming not just the best boat in the fleet, but like the best by a mile. Um, it, I love that book. Plus it, it wraps in kind of historical nonfiction into the, the, the leadership points that he makes. So I, I really love that book. Mm-hmm. That notwithstanding, I could go on and on about Simon Sinek, Start With Why, Infinite Game, uh, Charles Duhigg's uh, um, The Power of Habit, yep. um, Patrick... Lencioni's the ideal team player and all of his stuff. So like there, there are deep waters out there, bro. And it's hard to name three, but yeah, you know, yeah. there's a lot that well, I those, love. The ones that use that lead the heart. What was the name of that book? I want to write that down. Um, turn the ship around or oh, the first book, the, where the, gave the, the leadership challenge, the leadership challenge. Okay. And the five practices, lead the heart, right? That was one of the um, five practices. En- encourage the heart is encourage the last the one is number okay. five. Yep. Model the way, inspire shared vision, challenge the process, enable others to act, and encourage the heart. So, those are some some of my favorites. Are you taking those five, or what? What's your leadership style? Um, so my leadership style definitely is a mashup of all of those things. Okay. Um, there's no question that we as leaders, um, people want results, right? I mean, people look to leaders to get results. And there's this, uh, my favorite leadership things are those things that are counterintuitive. Um, Where as we come into the situation, we go, uh, should I go right or left? Okay, well, I need to get stuff done. I need to make it happen. That's kind of like your first mistake. You need to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who's really making it happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is your people most likely. Um, so yeah, so there's this, like, you're starting off with kind of a false premise that you need to make it happen. And in reality, we wake up every day and we join God in his work. Mm -hmm. God's already been at work all night long. We wake up and he's like, Hey, you want to come and join me? Right. Right. So God's going to make it happen. We get to participate in that in ways that resemble the way he shows up to us. And so we fret and we worry and we hold on to control and we try and make it happen. 
And he's just sitting there going, what are you doing? Like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, do you want to live into that? Do you want to like not be afraid and trust me that I'm going to order your steps, even though they're clumsy and kind of all over the map? So, yeah. so number one, leadership uh, North Star. I, I In People First Operations, I talk about a North Star for leadership mm-hmm. is that we start with an eternal perspective. Um, and that's very counterintuitive, right? Mm-hmm. But if you jump into 1 Corinthians 3, and you see Paul, he's talking about um, building on a foundation that he laid, which is Christ. And whatever we build on that foundation has to withstand the fire of God's judgment. And so we have to build with eternal materials. And, and you come into that and you go, well, how is my work building on this foundation going to last and last into eternity? Because what he says later in first Corinthians three is those who build things that withstand that fire, they'll receive a reward. And those that don't, they'll, they'll make it like they're (laughs) just watch everything burn up though. Yeah. But it's going to be not as rewarding. So I sit here and go, okay, with an eternal perspective, I come into every situation, whether it's leading my home and my family or it's leading at work or it's leading at church and I go, okay, with an eternal perspective, I will do what? And just that perspective often will make me go right mm-hmm. and not left. But if I come into it with my finite thinking, and this is one of the reasons I really love Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game, mm-hmm. because he's saying, come at it with an infinite perspective, with a, in, an eternal perspective, because it really does change the, the the dynamics of whatever the decision is in the moment. So okay. I would say leadership, leadership philosophy starts with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And then it goes into how can I show up with faith, hope, and love every day and mm-hmm. love the people that I get to and am honored to lead and leaders eat last and, you know, all these types of things. And it's like, yeah, I want to give of everything that I have mm-hmm. in service to others but at the same time, I want to do it in an infinitely sustainable way. So yeah. how do I lean into what the Lord has for me in this mm-hmm. and reap benefits of joy and, uh, and experience his blessing in the midst of that? So, yeah, there's a lot there. Yeah. Well, so because well, <laughs> um, I'll ask you a question about if you've ever worked for a bad leader. Yeah. Um, part of the reason I don't really care for leadership books is they've some of them seem to fall flat. And so I like to draw leadership principles from biographies of great men who were great leaders and see like, what did you do? Right. And almost all of them had a deep care for their men mm-hmm. uh, or whoever they were leading. Yeah. They also were someone you could imitate. Yeah. They, but it was that deep care for the men. They had a lot of wisdom. Link, uh, there was another book my dad had us read. It was called Link, Lincoln on leadership. It was about Abraham Lincoln. Oh, yeah. That was fantastic also. And but all these other ones, I'm like, well, I don't really, I don't see the, so these resources, but the way you're talking, I feel like I'm one, I'm, I came into this podcast fully expecting to be the host that learns because I'm like, here's a guy with a lot of wisdom for kids. I can't wait till we talk about the kids. Um, but even you, you said people were coming to you, uh, so you could be their leader and like, I don't know anything about engineering, but you know, you could hire me if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, know not, I know you're not in high tech anymore, but you can hire me if you want. I'll, I'll learn yeah. how to 
do something. Um, <laughs> I love just, it. And it's just by the way you're talking. You've, mm. you've got a smile on your face. You haven't broken eye contact. You're very clear. I'm like, Mark's the man. Mark's the <laughs> no. man. No. Uh, uh, you know, we just, I, I, I want first and foremost you to know that anything that I have to offer you is from the Lord and he gets yeah. the glory and honor. And I'm just grateful to him for, for what I get to do every day. So there's, I don't want this to be about me. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever worked for a bad leader? Yeah. Yeah. What were they like without, you know, degrading? What just like, what were they like? What made them hard to, to follow? Yeah. The first, the first, um, the, well, maybe not the first, but the most, um, the leader that was driven the most by fear showed up the worst. Um, and it, it happened a very, very long time ago. I doubt that anyone is going to be able to tell who I'm talking about, thankfully. So I'll keep this, uh, very, very, uh, anonymous, but I was working on a small engineering software engineering team. We were building a very small product and, um, this manager, uh, every day would have a angry rage filled tirade directed at one every, almost every day directed at one of the people in the group. And, um, there were, I mean, there were only three or four, there were four of us on this small team and we were working on something that was brand new for the company. It was a new software product. And, um, I, I really don't, I, I wasn't, I didn't have the wherewithal to really pull him aside and say, I need to understand what are you so afraid of? I, you, you, you kind of get the fog of war and things are just like, you know, very much in your face, but I wish I could now. Um, but he was definitely afraid of failure and he picked this one gentleman who seemed like perhaps to him was the least performer and just would just excoriate him routinely. And eventually you could probably tell me what happened. He quit. (laughs) He's like, I don't need this. Yeah. And found another job and he left. So so then this manager was like, who am I going to kick now? And so he picked someone else and started to lean into this person and they left. And then it got to me. And one day he came into my office and he just started yelling. And it was just like, I had been loaned to him by my manager, the actual manager that I worked for. Mm-hmm. And so my manager came in after that tirade and he looked at me and he goes, never let him do that to you again. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in my office here. He came in like, what am I supposed to do? But right. so that, so it was just sort of like one of those things that gets burned into your brain and you're like, mm-hmm. wow, I'd never want to do that. Like right. what, what are the emotions? What are the, what are the beliefs and the motivations that would lead someone to get to that point where in an office environment, they would just totally blow up. Right. Um, and so you know, introspection, reflection, my, my faith and, uh, and the Lord's Holy spirit, just sort of saying, okay, this is how you not get there. Right. I've worked for other mm, leaders that, and, and this is the thing, there's no perfect leader, right? I, oh, I am no, so far from being perfect. Um, mm. and so I'm sure that some of the folks that have reported to me, could go, well, we could tell you some stories about Mark. Um, <laughs> And, yeah. and it may be true. I'm, I know they'd be true. Um, but that, that's where like, uh, 
we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses and our blind spots and, and we all have our besetting sins, truthfully. And so how do we bring all of who we are to the Lord and consecrate ourselves to the Lord? I'm going through John Eldridge's 30 day to 30 days to resilient right now. And so there's Mm -hmm. a consecration of my mind. There's a consecration of my emotions and all of who I am. I bring to him and I consecrate them to him and let him work and change me in a way that helps me show up more like him to the people in the office or the people at my home. And there was one day I was driving home from work and I had been listening to the leadership challenge on audible. It's a great read on audible. Mm -hmm. And I remember where I was and the stop sign I was coming to and the the two by four of the Holy spirit that hit me in the back of the head in that (laughs) moment where he spoke to me and said, this is all well and good, Mark, all this, leadership stuff that you're listening to is great Mm -hmm. but are you doing it at home Mm -hmm. are you are you Mm -hmm. modeling the way at home Mm -hmm. are you inspiring a shared vision at home are you challenging the process at home and enabling others to act and encouraging the heart and really it was it was the two number one and number five are you modeling it at home and are you encouraging their heart enough at home and i was like oh (laughs) <laughs> oh, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've had a couple of those yeah. lately. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, which I want to talk to. I have a lot of questions about raising children, mm. marriage, because you've been married since you said. 1995. 95. Okay, so you're coming up. We're 27. Yeah. We're, we're 27 and a half going to 28. Yeah. So, okay. Thank the Lord. Um, so I'll <laughs> ask you some questions about that, but we do have a yeah. lot of young guys that listen to this podcast. So I have, I've got two questions. Love those One would be, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody who is under poor leadership? But mm. before you answer that one, you said poor leadership typically shows up in the form of fear. What, how well, and this guy in this particular case, he's berating you. Mm-hmm. Um, how else does that kind of, does that manifest? Cause I want, I have a theory. I don't know if it's correct or not, but a lot of times what I, I think what I'm seeing, if someone thinks they're a good leader, maybe they aren't. There's a lot, there's almost a sense of grandeur about mm-hmm. their importance, a sense of self-importance. Um, leaders are important, but there's this weird sense of self-importance, but there's also this, um, it's not really controlling, but maybe a little bit of controlling, but it's, it's these two in conjunction. Like I'm very important. Everything needs to be done my way this way, or look what gift I have to offer you. It's something like that. Um, but so how, it, how, do, how does poor leadership manifest if it's done through fear other than hopefully not berating people? And then if you're, if a young man, early twenties, late twenties, early thirties is sitting there like, I think I'm under a bad leader and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. What would you say? Oh gosh. Uh, big question. That's a big, that is a big question. You know, I, I think what I heard you talking about is definitely something that um, challenges anyone who rises in status, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's in the office or what have you, we, we do become, we can become prideful. We can, you know, get a big head and think that yeah. our, our words have more weight and merit than, than they ought. And mm-hmm. um, I think the, the remarkable thing for me, whenever I've seen wonderful leaders is the ones that have 
a crazy amount of status or recognition or worldly success. And they're so humble. And when you meet, you meet them, they're like, Oh my goodness, Keaton, it is an honor to meet you. Mm -hmm. And tell me about yourself. I just want to know about you. And, and you're sitting there going, wait, who am I that you are, who are well known by so many would be asking about me. But like, that is, that's a beautiful thing. Cause isn't that what Jesus does for us Mm -hmm. here? He's like, no, I want to know you. I, Mm -hmm. you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I love you. And you matter most to me. You're my favorite, right? We're all his favorite, but Peyton, you're his favorite. Um, so that, that's, that's stark contrast to a a prideful, non-listening, uh, fear-driven or ego-driven or what have you, um, leader. Now what to do about that when you work for someone like that? I think the, the number one, we are all leaders. Every single person is a leader and some people just don't know it yet or aren't willing to accept that they are, but someone is always watching you. Someone is always listening to you and you're, you're showing up. However you show up influences someone towards what something. So what are you leading towards is the question that I ask. Um, in that moment when, you know, I was under that, that angry leader, I was showing up in a passive way. And so I was leading poorly Uh in that moment, even though I wasn't the manager, I still wasn't leading. Well, I should have stopped him and said, Whoa, time out. What, what's, what's happening here? What do you think is happening here? And not have been passive, but I was passive and shame on me for being passive. Mm -hmm. So I think for someone who's under poor leadership, um, don't mistake uh, the fact that you are a leader in that moment and that you can show up in a way that is godly and you can, you can put a halt to some bad behavior by asking the question, what's, what's, what's happening here? I'm going to give you my perspective on what I see and let's drive towards a healthier culture. Let's drive towards a healthier behavior. And because I think that, you want this team to succeed, right? I think that you want us to accomplish our goals, right? And what you're bringing to the table is actually working against us accomplishing these goals, whatever they are. And and that's what I find is, you know, a people first operational culture um, can allow for that healthy dialogue, resol- resolving um, things that aren't great but with the effort of making it better so that we can go further, faster, with less energy, yeah. conserving momentum, yeah. yielding results for whatever we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I so, think that that's something I would say to somebody who's in maybe a bad leadership position. Yeah, it's it, risky for sure. It is, yeah, it's, risky. it's risky. But I love that your first response wasn't, you know, you just quit. You know, that that is a common thing. It's like, ah, yeah. oh, my leader's not living up to, my leader's not, either my leader's not good or they're not beating the, what I think a leadership should be. I've been here six months, but right. you know, um, cause there are some times where we young folk think somebody is a bad leader just because we haven't, <gasps> my daughter's here. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Come see, say hi. 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 Say hi. This is hi. Mark. Hi, beautiful. Say hi, Noah. <laughs> what you got in the cup? 
What's in the cup? Bunnies. <gasps> Are these bunnies? Yeah. Oh, oh that's the best. bunnies. All right, you're from Hi. Mama. <laughs> Oh, Noah's beautiful, bro. And she's obsessed with dad right now. Oh, it's the best. Mm-hmm. Just mm. Mm. you. I was listening to you yesterday and you said something on the podcast I was listening to that I had never heard before. And as soon as you said it and then the context in which you said it, I was like, oh, oh, yes. I was driving down the hill from here to my house and you talked about cute aggression. Was that oh, the, yes. I was like, yes, that's a uh-huh. thing. I've never heard that term before, but I get it. <laughs> I think it's a, it, it's either like a young, an old millennial or a young millennial in a Gen Z thing. Cute uh-huh. aggression, you're just like, oh, I just could eat you. So going back to the leadership thing, what they, you know, with young guys, yeah, sometimes you're under bad leadership and you're like, you have all the solutions. So you're just puffed up with pride, you know? Yeah. And other times it's like, no, this is actually a really bad leader. I should quit probably. But the first response probably should not be, I'm just going to quit. They're a bad leader. Right. What you said is, why don't you be a leader and engage mm-hmm. with your superior in a respectful way? Yeah. Don't go, don't go with the, all the solutions to their life. Just go and ask some respectful questions because this is the person in authority over you. For sure. Um, I love that. That's a good, that was, it was like to a world where it's easy to get a new job. Yeah. Just every couple of years. Yeah. Engage. Okay. I, I like that a lot. That's good. Cause I, I feel like if you most leaders are probably not terrible, like horrible, horrendous yelling, berating yeah. you. Yeah. Some of them, a lot of them may not be very good, but if I think if a challenge arises, and you choose to just quit, that'll carry over to other areas of your life. When a challenge arises, you'll probably just quit. So I'm thinking, like I imagine frequently what it's going to be like when my daughter no longer wants to bust into the office and talk to me, but she wants to slam the door. (laughs) It's not going to (laughs) happen. No, (laughs) like I don't get to quit, you know? Like you can't just be like, oh, I'm out of here. So that's something I think about. Um, frequently. Is there anything else you would add on leadership other than that? And cause I got a lot of questions about family stuff. Oh, I'm happy to go there too. Um, okay. I can talk, uh, Keaton, this is, this is a, a passion yeah. project of mine yeah. and I can talk all day about yeah. leadership, but I think it segues mm-hmm. perfectly into the home mm-hmm. because honestly, uh, so much of mm-hmm. how I show up at work is how I show up at home, right? Mm-hmm. There, we talk about integration and disintegration. Mm-hmm. We we don't want to have one persona that daddy is at work or mom is at work and have a different a different mask that we put on at home. We want to be a mm-hmm. full integrated person. And yes. there were many times where I was leading engineers and teams, uh, and I thought, man, this is so much like parenting. Not in a derogatory way, like not in a way to say my the those that reported me were acting like children. That's not it. It was just like, man, I'm I'm using the same muscles that I use at home. The 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 conflict's a little different. The you know, but but really the same muscles. So like, let's strengthen those muscles 
and get stronger as leaders yeah, yeah, yeah. in the home and at work. I can see the parallels. Kids don't understand why you tell them what to do. Like your 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 employees yeah. or your people underneath may not understand. Totally. Why in the proper response or the improper responses? Yeah. Um, just because I said so. Like, right. That, that just doesn't that. work. No, you can't say that for your kids. You can't say that for your employees. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, you can, um, you can, you can try that and it, you can, it might yeah. yield some results for a while, but <laughs> it's a finite, you're leading towards, uh, with, in, with finite decision-making in that when you do yeah. that. So yeah, yeah for real. <laughs> so you, you had, or you have four children. Correct? I have five actually. Oh, you have five, you yeah. have five kids. And I have five. How, yeah. What's the age gap between the oldest and the youngest? Uh, so Eden is 20. Oh gosh. She was born in 97 uh december 97 so was she 25 mm-hmm. gonna be 26 mm-hmm. uh and my youngest is gonna be 17 in uh five days so okay it's about 10 okay. years man yeah yeah okay so every two years i'm my wife has not said she wants five i've been pushing for five i would love five kids i i can, um, I can just say it's a beautiful thing <laughs> mm-hmm. and so you're not no one's crazy for wanting five kids because it's no. like in my generation Young millennials, either like very tail end of millennials or early Gen Z is like, you got to yeah. be crazy to want to have more than two kids. Don't you want to like make a lot of money, uh, have a lot of fun and all this other stuff? And I'm like, well, no, I want to have a lot of kids. And yeah. everybody I know who has a lot of kids, they're not poor. <laughs> you know? Oh, it's um, there's so actually, There's plenty of promises about God taking care of your children and yeah, God gives you the power to get wealth anyway. That's in Deuteronomy. Yep. Yep. Um, what was it like raising your five children? Because I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. let me intro and tell you sure. hopefully what I'm looking for. I've got two kids. I've yep. got a, a girl. My little daughter is about to turn two. I have a son who's about three months. I'm mm-hmm. hoping for more. <clears throat> We've been married three years. And um, my daughter doesn't listen to every little word I say. She's very jealous of, my, um, of our, our three-month-old. You know, at this current moment, when dad holds him, not when mom yeah. holds, only when dad holds. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know if I have made a right decision in probably six or seven months. <laughs> like, I, I maybe, I maybe uh, two years, I haven't uh-huh. made a right decision. Actually, I wrote, I had just written something earlier this week on my Substack about Moses and him leading the people of Israel to the Red Sea. And I was like, and I, what did I say? It was like, I've got an, um, a, the Red Sea in front of me an army behind me and everybody, or army behind me, sea in front of me and everybody's mad at me or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> For now, sure. now, not that we're, we don't fight very often or anything. We actually have a beautiful, beautiful marriage, but what I'm feeling like as a father and as a husband, I'm like, I've never felt this kind of pressure before mm. to, lead. And there's a part of me that keeps hoping my wife will be the initiator of things that I think our family should do. And mm-hmm. I know I'm like, I know that's my job. I know that's my job. But part of me is like, yeah, maybe, maybe if she initiates, I can like come in and take over. Or, um, <laughs> if I do initiate, I was like, I can't tell if you like what I'm doing. Initiating mm-hmm. being like, I want to pray with our family in the morning. I want to like right now I'm doing a, we're doing a Bible study with my kids in their little picture Bible every morning in bed, yeah. you know, and Noah's jumping around. My wife's like hardly awake. <laughs> like, totally. So 
there's kind of my background. Yeah. And I'm like, I love it. How do, how do you lead this family? I pr- I've I have never prayed as much as I have prayed in the last three months. That's great. Um, that's perfect. <laughs> that's a, you're I, doing exactly I, I, what you're supposed to do. <laughs> that's good. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> I and I I feel the effects of grace when I'm good. when I'm praying, and at the same time I'm all like, I got to go pray again. <laughs> Cause I'm like, and I want, I want more and I want to be, I want, but part of the pressure is I want to be a good father. I want my kids to speak about me the way I talk about my father yeah. and my mother, you know, like mm-hmm. my parents are the best people I've ever met hands yeah. down. It's not even close. I and love it. I'm told, I told my dad the other day, I was like, when I ask for advice, I need you to give it like, don't tell me you're protecting me. <laughs> I need your advice. I, I hope. And that has everything to do with how they raised us. They were very present in our life, very engaged. They held their standard really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I pushed hard. But they held their standards, and yeah. so uh, there's like, I want, I want to be the best father I possibly can be, the best husband I can be. It brings a lot of pressure, Mark, in your humility <laughs> through God's grace. Tell me everything you know immediately, right now. <laughs> like, oh gosh, yeah, I was just sitting here like all the million things are are mm-hmm. coming to mind. I, I mm-hmm. think. You know, are you, are you a golfer? Do you like golf? I don't. You I don't like, like golf. top golf. Yeah. But I don't really care for golf. It's a little too Fair slow enough. for me. Yeah. I, I only bring it up because when you, when you get to the point where you're wanting to hit the ball, you can have a hundred things go through your head mm-hmm. and, and none of them are helpful because it's this <laughs> massive jumble uh-huh. all at the same time. And then it's like, you just shank it. So Really what happens is um, I have I have two or three things mm-hmm. when I am a, addressing the golf ball that I think they're mm-hmm. my sw- swing thoughts. It's like, yep. do this, do this, and do this. Mm-hmm. And then let muscle memory take over. Yeah. And I hope you're okay, okay with sports analogies. But I love sports um, analogies. And that but, one makes sense to me. So, so this is a, this is a, um, you're going to get a lot of reps. You already are if she's turning two. You've get, mm-hmm. you've gotten a lot of reps. You're getting more reps, and there's an aspect of um, of parenting and being the leader in your home that's just about what you said. It's like you got to have grace. You have to have grace for yourself. You have only been doing this for two years, and yes. mm-hmm. that's. I mean, if if we think about w- when we hire someone to a job who's got two years of experience. They're kind of on the junior side, right? Like that just yeah. just is what it is. So yeah. have grace. I, I also heard what you said in another podcast where it's like, get close to older men and mm-hmm. listen to them. And mm-hmm. so that's great. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. But here, here's the thing. When, when, when I think swing thoughts for parenting, mm-hmm. pray like crazy. And not just by yourself, but with mm-hmm. your kids. Um, yeah. Bathe them, cover them in prayer. And, um, they're not always going to be tracking with you. They're not always going to be sitting still. They're not always going to be like, you know, folding their hands, looking like a normal Norman Rockwell painting. That's not parenting. Right. Um, (laughs) and so it doesn't matter. You're, Uh you're, you're faithfully leading in those moments where you're like, we, we would pray on our bed and I'm, I'm sitting in our bedroom. So I'm looking at my bed. We would pray with all the kids piled on our bed before they went to bed every night. 
Wow. And it was just, that was the cadence. It's like, mm -hmm. all right, guys, it's time for bed. Mm -hmm. Come on in. We're going to pray. Mm -hmm. And we would all pray. It was like popcorn style. Mm -hmm. um, everybody would go around mm -hmm. and even our two-year-old would be like, you know, whispering to mom, can you help me? Can you help me? I don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And so Beth would be, or I would be like, dear mm -hmm. Jesus, dear Jesus, please mm -hmm. thank you for this day. Thank you for this yeah. day. Right. And so it's just this. And what's really cool is we talked a little bit about this, maybe before we hit record, but Jim Wilder talks mm -hmm. about how our brains work. And mm -hmm. there's these neurons called imitator neurons. And mm -hmm. They are only trained through imitation. So when you're sitting there going, dear Jesus, and they're mm -hmm. saying, dear Jesus, um, you're training their imitator neurons, which are a significant part of their brain. It's those yeah. neurons that the phrase caught, not taught comes from. Because mm -hmm. um, we see that. We see, well, that was caught. I didn't teach them that, but they sure know what right. they're doing. And uh, so, you know, I, we, we talked about, we talked about, uh, this as you and I were setting up the podcast, but mm -hmm. God's design for discipleship is in the home. Mm -hmm. And it's yes. all about how you go about day in and day out, moment by moment with your kids and just bring them into your life of faith and your life of work and your life of relationship with your wife and with your friends. And, you know, there's a culture that we create in our home mm -hmm. and the kids help contribute to that culture. This is where, you know, the, the leadership challenge, inspiring a shared vision. Mm -hmm. As a leader, we get to come into our home and we get to share a vision for what our home life would be like. But then we get to share that vision and the creation. It's a co-creation of that vision. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the kids are like, well, I don't want to pray at night. And you're like, well, I'm sorry. That's non-negotiable yeah. and I'm the leader. We're going to pray at night uh -huh. because that's just what, that's what, um, Tuckers do, or that's right. what Paulson's do. Right. And, and in that you're then hooking into the other part of Jim Wilder's mm -hmm. learnings, which is mm -hmm. we need to have a strong group identity. And mm -hmm. what is the group identity of this family unit? Mm -hmm. Do we show up? Are we mm -hmm. present? Do we put in our earbuds when everybody's at the dinner table and have our cell phones? Or do we say, no, those don't belong here. We're going to participate in each other's lives because this relationship is the most important thing. Right. So how you create that culture and with the eternal perspective coming into mm -hmm. with an eternal perspective, what's the kind of culture that I want my family to have, whether we're at home or we're out at church or we're out at a restaurant mm -hmm. um, and how can I as a dad and a mom be creative about how we in encourage and create that culture of fun and joy and we're gonna smile a lot at each other yeah. right yeah. the 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 four the four ingredients to mm -hmm. spiritual transformation per the other half of church the book that Jim and Michael Hendricks wrote right is high joy high Hesed which is that covenantal attachment love. There's right. nothing, Noah, that you could ever do that would make your daddy Tucker not love you. There is a right. covenantal attachment love to that. Mm -hmm. And then a strong group identity, which is we show up. We're relational with each other when we're around each other. If, if my kid comes around me, the earbuds come out. That's mm -hmm. just like, I don't care what I'm doing, the earbuds come out. You have access, mm -hmm. full access to me. And I'm not like heads down, 
in in ignoring you. Um, and and then there's number four, which is healthy correction, right? Mm-hmm. And when I read that book, The Other Half of Church, and I read those four things and really dove in, I was like, oh my goodness, this is why, this is why church discipline that Paul talks about worked because there was high joy. There was high Hesed in that church community. There was a strong group identity. And with those three things, when healthy correction had to come to bear, people could not imagine being cast out of that community. It's like, no, I will change. I, I, I totally will change. Um, And that's what we're doing in our home is we're one sec. <clears throat> we're creating that type of culture. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I had a, about a hundred questions run through my mind all at once. <clears throat> I'm going to say some that we don't have to answer right now, but I don't want to forget. One was creating the culture in the home in conjunction with your wife. Mm-hmm. I have a question about that. Sure. Um, for those listening, the other half of church by Jim Wilder is the book that he was just referencing and you've applied it to your home. The basic premise of that book, he's a neuroscientist, um, neuroscientist, theologian almost. And yeah, in this book, he explains how half of your brain, I believe it's the left half of your brain runs on joy, nothing but joy, people smiling at you. That's why the uh, numbers six blessing is so important. May the Lord smile upon you. Um, and then, okay. So the culture in the home with your wife, I wanted to ask about, about that. Um, and then I'm assuming all of those points that you had just said came from the other half of church, or did it also come from the other book that Jim Wilder wrote that you were telling about renovated? No. Okay. Um, The other half of church. Yeah. Most of that was. Yep. Okay. Okay. Sorry. A little tickle. Hey, I understand. (laughs) Um, the building, creating a family culture, uh, with your wife. You know, cause that's something I really want to do. And, um, you know, it's kind of, like kind of awkward at first. It, sometimes it feels like, yeah. Oh, cause this is how I was raised or this is how I was raised. What are we going to do yeah. together? What's really important? What's not those kinds of things. Right. Um, you know, there's even been times where it's like, Oh, this feels kind of tense because we're just trying to figure out, are we going to raise our kids? How are we going to raise our kids? You know? Mm-hmm. So like for me, I'm, I don't want my kids to be in daycare most of their right. life. Like I just don't, that's something I, I don't want. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, do we send our, our daughter to more daycare? Do we keep them at home? If we keep them at home, that means, well, Chelsea's stay at home mom. And then, so there's like other things like that. And then the pressure's on for me is like, well, then you better provide like there right. are, uh, you know, there's so, some of that. When you guys set out to create your culture, yeah. Home. What did you and your wife do together to establish that? Where was there tension? How did you get through the tension? Yeah. How did you guys do it? <clears throat> I think that um, I'm going to answer your question in a slightly roundabout way. Okay. And it kind of comes back to the point that you made in another podcast, which is bring older, wiser people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, Beth and I did when we started having kids was we really started paying attention. Who are the families that are out ahead of us that have families and kids that we love Mm -hmm. and that we're like, Oh, it would be wonderful if our kids were like their kids. Mm -hmm. 
and it would be wonderful if, and we would look at the relationships between mom and dad and the kids, if our relationships with our kids looked like that. Mm -hmm. So you start with kind of the end in mind mm -hmm. as you come into these conversations with your wife mm -hmm. and you bring in great counsel. And so we had some amazing counsel from some amazing people who were incredible parents, mm -hmm. raising families that we saw and we thought, man, we want to look just like them, yeah. the Perskenises or the Hollows or the, mm -hmm. and I could just go on with the names. And then it was a matter of going and spending time with them. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Like, how do you, what did you do? What did you, so for us, when we started having kids, we were, we were thinking we want to look like that and the relationships clearly matter the most. So mm -hmm. when we're developing this culture in our home, we want to make sure it's highly relational. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about Jim Wilder's book mm -hmm. then that I know now. And now I go, oh, thank you, Lord, for leading us in this way because we had high joy. We smiled at each other a lot. We laughed a lot together. We had a Hesed love, that covenantal attachment love. The kids knew we were 100% sold out for them no matter what. And we had a strong group identity that was around Jesus. We go to church on Sunday mornings because we want to go worship Jesus. We mm -hmm. go and we do our work with excellence because we want it to worship Jesus and really leading intentionally towards that those three things. And then healthy correction comes in, which you know as a parent, Yes. It starts young. <laughs> and yeah. It's hard. And you're like, did I make a good choice just then? Like, it was, uh, man, she, you know, if she didn't obey me, I remember the very first time my oldest was, I was alone with my oldest. We were in one of our first apartments and we had this television. Now, the televisions back then were not like the televisions we have today. It was heavy and it was on a, television cart that was wobbly on carpet so it was even wobblier it was it was a safety nightmare right uh -huh. but eden crawled over to this television and i and i looked at Eden. and i said no don't touch it no no and she looked at the tv and she looked at me and then she looked at the tv and she went boop <laughs> she touched it she's like what, what are you gonna do like complete like pushing the boundaries and and I'm like wait you're too young to be to be willfully disobeying me when I just told you no and I know you know what no means and you're like what do you do in that moment it's like well there's a healthy correction there's a lot of love it's not an anger thing it's like did you laugh no I did not laugh okay there are, I, there have been times when Noah has she has been defiant and I can't help but laugh totally and I'm totally. like we get it and then she thinks it's so funny and she does it again. I'm like, ah. right. No, I just rewarded that. Yeah, totally. No, I, I didn't laugh. Um, you know, it was, there was a wait. It was like, what do I do in this moment? I was very, I'm, I'm a thinker. I just was like busy thinking. So I, you know, through some of the parenting training that we had, it was like, you have to be very careful with corporal punishment, but mm -hmm. I wanted it to smart a little bit. So I yeah. carefully held her hand and her wrist and I, I gave her a tap on the back of the hand and mm -hmm. she cried and I just hugged her and I said, it's yeah. okay. It's okay. But you know, it starts, my parents always told me, and this is again, those older couple coming in and being like, this is what you have to do. You do the hard work from the ages of 
I guess Eden at that point was probably nine months old, nine months to five years old, right? And it's it's the the analogy would be that elephant yeah. on a string, right? The baby elephant on a string learns they can't break it, but then they grow up into this huge elephant, and that string's not going to do anything. But they don't try, right? So right. do the hard work of teaching your kids to obey between zero and five, because after five years old, um, it gets way easier. It does. I, I'm just going to tell you, it's not a lot of, well, that part of parenting gets a lot easier. Okay. Um, so spanks, whatever, you know, done in love, not in, never in anger, never in, in anything. Parents should not spank their kids in anger. I a million percent agree. I will say it over and over and over again. And my kids knew if they got a spanking, dad was sitting there rubbing their butt right after trying to make it stop stinging. And like, no, I love you. It's okay. I forgive you. Let's pray. Right. So in that moment, Beth and I would just be like, let's, let's pray. Let's ask Jesus to forgive us because really your sin was not against me. It was against him. And I want to heal that relationship with you between you and him, because that's, that's what is really affected. So leading well in that. And yeah. And really it it came from a lot of training from parents that went before us that were like, this is what we do. This is why we do what we do. This is the end in mind. It's Mm -hmm. the, the goal is to teach them to obey. Mm -hmm. The goal is that they would be cheerful, cheerful Mm -hmm. in their obedience. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, once you're at that point where it's like not all about me, then we get to have fun blessing other people mm-hmm. and bringing the the joy of giving into the equation so that they experience acts of service done willfully and joyfully. And mm-hmm. suddenly it's turning back around and they're more blessed than the person that they blessed and to wow. see that. So okay. yeah, it's, wow. you're just getting reps. It's just reps. I, yeah. Yeah. So we, we do have a rule when it comes to spanking Noah. There's only things she gets. There's only certain things she gets spanked for. She yep. gets spanked just because. Yep. We have a we have a rule. She doesn't get a spanking until we've explained why she's getting a spanking. Oh yeah. So because one, it slows us down, so we're not reacting. Right. Um, and there's times we wouldn't. React. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, but it also helps her understand, like, okay, I'm not being arbitrarily physically disciplined. Right. There's a reason. Yep. And so we have like, she's actually at, at the age now she can explain in little words, like, do you yeah. know why you're getting spanked? She, yeah. So like last night she got spanked and it had been a while. And like, do you know why you're getting spanked? She goes, yeah. I throw spoon. <laughs> she, threw this, she had thrown her spoon <laughs> at, at, at mom. <laughs> and I was like, don't laugh. Don't it, was, laugh. it was so cute. Um, you also, you, you said something and it, it reminded me of a conversation I was having with my brother. Um, and so just for some context, this is the home office. There's mm-hmm. a door right this way. Uh huh. And when I work here, my daughter usually doesn't know, but some, there's some stairs right there. And sometimes she comes up the stairs and she, if she sees the door closed, she knows I'm in here. And so the other day I'm working up from home. And she goes, she knows that finds out I'm home and goes, daddy and runs to the door. Yeah. Opens the door and comes and spends some time with me while I'm, you know, I'm in the middle of work. 
I had a lot to do. So I write about this on my Substack because it was I, on Substack. I have a section called the dad I want to be. And yep. um, so I write because I'm like, I have no idea, but I, I, I know who I want to be. And we'll see yeah. how, how I get there and things I've learned along the way. And um, so I, I tell this story and how I, and then my conclusion is I always want to be a dad who's available when his kids call to him. Like, I just want the door to be, the door was locked at the time and I, and that, that was devastating to her. So I had to unlock it. Like, Dad's Aww. here. Come on in. You know? Um, and my brother texted me. He's like, Hey, I read your sub stack. And he said, Jordan Peterson would say, you know, J- Jordan Peterson, yep. the infamous Jordan Peterson, um, would say, you need to teach your kids not to interrupt you while you're working. And I was like, okay, well, she's two. Um, he did, which my brother did say, he's like, I don't think, I don't know if he means two-year-olds, but right. Um, I was like, okay, there is an element where, you know, dads, you can't just play with your kids all day. If you're the, especially if you're the provider, mm-hmm. you also have a responsibility to provide, but also to do your duty for the people who are paying you or whatever. Yep. Um, so you can't just play with your kids all day, but at the same time, I, I want to be available to my little girl when she's like, daddy. Totally. So I, I was like, I was thinking about that and I was like, sh- so do, should I teach my kids that we don't interrupt dad while he's working or should I teach my kids that the door is always open or is there a third option that doesn't have to be those two? Oh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, again, we come into it and think about with an eternal perspective, mm-hmm. how do we decide a, mm-hmm. a thing like this? And so um, obviously we're not an infinite God who has an infinite mm-hmm. amount of, of, of capacity and attention. And mm-hmm. um, we would have a door always open with our Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And he would be like, yep, come on in, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we do as dads carry that weight in our home, mm-hmm. our kids experience of the father mm-hmm. is going to be very much like their experience of life with you and me. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, there's a weight of responsibility there. Like how do I show up to my two year old who doesn't understand necessarily. Right. And there were times where I would work at home when my kids were little and I can remember thinking, Oh, I got the demands of work. I got to get this thing done. And they're misbehaving. They're totally like trashing the joint and (laughs) throwing stuff and they're fighting. And, and honestly, like there, and I don't know why the Lord brought these things to memory as I was thinking about being on your podcast, but Mm -hmm. there were moments where I just real remember thinking it's their, it's not their fault. It's your fault. Hmm. Go and be with them. What they need right now is you to play a game with them and give them some structure to this otherwise unstructured Lord of the Flies like chaos that's ensuing in the in the living room. So close your laptop. It'll be okay. Take some time and go spend time with them. They're going to go down for a nap at some point and then you can focus on your thing. So mm-hmm. so there is this there is this uh tension that we live in. And it's, it's like, yeah, we have to balance the things that we need to get done with 
the ones that are the most important things in our lives, which are our kids. And when I think about on my deathbed someday, what are the regrets that I have? The regrets will never, ever, ever revolve around, I wish I had that laptop open more. I wish I spent more time editing that document or writing that piece of code. The, the regrets will always be, I just wish I had closed the darn laptop and spent a little more time with them. Everything was going to be okay with work. And I know it. And I might have missed a deadline or I might have had to stay up till midnight instead of 1130 to finish that thing. And so you know, start with the end in mind, have an eternal perspective as you come into the decisions. Yeah. I'm a verbal processor. So mm-hmm. I did, I came up with this answer as I talked with you about it. And it's like, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, this, this is where we want to get to. We bring the image of God. We're image bearers mm-hmm. to our kids. So yeah. what is the image that we want them to have of God? And how do I show up like that? So yeah. anyway. Okay. That's, that's very helpful. I am also an external processor. <laughs> yeah. And when I start processing externally, I have to tell my wife ahead of time. Right. Warning. <laughs> warning. I'm about to start processing. I'm not making a decision. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're just I'm talking. We're just I'm talking. With you. That's right. Um, there, but what you had said, it reminded me of something my father used to do that I only appreciated as an adult and didn't really understand as a kid dad was as far as I can remember, dad was always at breakfast. He was always at dinner. I don't mm-hmm. remember not having dinner with dad. There was one time for a three month period, he was working in uh, Grand Lake, Colorado. And so he would stay up at the cabin he was working at. That's mm-hmm. the only time I remember him not being home for dinner. But I do remember he'd come home, you know, cause he was baseball coach, boy scout, master, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He'd come home, have dinner, He'd go to baseball practice or he'd do the Boy Scout thing. I do remember, though, him putting us to bed and then going back to work because <clears throat> he had stuff that he had to get done. And it was like, okay, it was almost as if I can sacrifice sleep, my family, or my job. Well, I can't sacrifice my family. I can't sacrifice my job because then I we'll, we won't have a home. Right. So I guess I'll sacrifice my sleep. And to me, it's like, you know, in our modern world with everybody's seeking after comfort, I'd have to have comfort. Everything has to be like perfectly aligned for me. Otherwise I just, my mental oh. health can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like almost as if we're trying to avoid a form of taking up our cross. Mm. And I heard someone say recently, you can, everybody hopes they can avoid t- picking up their cross, <laughs> but you're either going to pick it up in your family yeah. or in somewhere else. I think it was, I think it was actually a Catholic priest who had said it. He's like, you're people think they can go become in the religious, religious life and not pick up their cross or go into family life and pick up your cross. And like, God's going to make you pick it up anyway. <laughs> it's and true. You have to find a way to die to yourself. And, mm-hmm. um, as I'm verbally processing right now, I think that's what my pops was doing for us. <laughs> um, that was, that was very, very helpful. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. I want the, I want her to be able to come in and yes, um, be available. Um, yes. Yeah. When it came to providing, um, the world, I mean, the world feels very expensive right now, mm-hmm. just uber expensive. Everything is. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Um, how did you, I, I know <clears throat> that you've probably, there may have been, well, I don't know. I'm sure there were times where it felt like, Hey, money's a little tight. Other times it felt like, Oh, we have an abundance. Yeah. 
navigating that pressure, um, knowing the Lord will provide, we're going to pray. Mm -hmm. How, what was your mindset and approach for the sake of your family? Did you ever feel like, Hey, I gotta go get a second job or I'm just going to need to start a new endeavor or when, when money was tight or if it, yep. if it ever was, yep. what was the, what was your <clears throat> mindset as a, as a man? Um, so uh, there were a few times in our, in our marriage and raising kids where I looked at Beth and I said, I need to figure out how to make more money. Mm -hmm. Um, this, this equation is not balancing, right? Uh, I've and said to my wife, I think 10 times in the last <laughs> yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, that's a, that's a real thing. I, mm -hmm. I will tell you right now, Keaton, that it's interesting you asked me this question right now, because I am living in faith more than I ever have as it relates to the income mm -hmm. stream. And I think that's where we grow the most in our mm -hmm. faith. Um, because, you know, we, we know we have Jehovah Jireh. He is, mm -hmm. he is our provider. Mm -hmm. And do we trust in that? Or do we trust in the corporation that has the almighty dollar that supports our well-being and our health and our benefits and the food and all the things? Yeah. Undergirding that, we always know God is providing that, right? I, I always know. But when that layoff comes and we sit and go, okay, <laughs> now what? And, you know, up until this past February, now what always to me looked like, well, I polish the resume and I start seeding the system with resumes and yeah. something will pop in mm -hmm. alignment with God's timing and we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And this time the Lord did not let me do that. And I, it was like, oh, I, but I, but God, I have two in college. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we have, we have like, as the, I will warn you, as the kids get older, they don't get cheaper. <laughs> they, they don't. Told. Chels, so, Chels keeps talking to me about all the sports kids are going to be doing. I'm like, they're going to be yeah. delivering newspapers, not playing oh sports. Oh my goodness. Well, and then wait till the, you know, the, the permit comes and then you're entertaining. How do they get around in some vehicle and you're paying for car insurance and the vehicle. And it's just like, oh my goodness, it snowballs. So. <laughs> So in that, yeah, and and all the while we're sitting there going, how much are we saving for college? None. We're not saving anything for college because it's all we can do to pay for what we need to pay for. So, uh -huh. but to move forward with that, again, I keep coming back to that eternal perspective uh -huh. and knowing that God will provide. And I will say that um, I have made a, a strong a growth edge for myself to not worry about money. Now, have I? Yes, a million percent. Um, and I will also tell you that in those moments when I let my guard down and I worried about money, I showed up bad for yeah. Beth and for yeah. the kids. Yeah. It, it does not yield the results that we want it to yield, and it, yeah. nor does it solve anything. It never solves anything. So. Yeah. That's where, when I looked at Beth and I would say, it seems like I have to figure out for a long time, and I haven't shared a lot of our, uh, some of our story. Mm -hmm. Beth was a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. Beth homeschooled all five of my, our kids, um, mm -hmm. and she homeschooled for 20 years. So, um, and it started when, it started kind of uh, with, she wasn't sure she wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. And 
she ended up teaching Eden at four how to read with a in 15 minutes a day with a phonics program, um, Alpha Phonics. I think you probably go find it. It's a red oh, yeah. book. No pictures, no picture, just letters, Alpha Phonics. And um, she spent 15 minutes a day teaching Eden to read. And Kate, our three-year-old at the time, would literally look over Beth's shoulder as she's sitting with Eden. And Kate learned to read at the age of three also. So oh, wow. once my wife like experienced that joy, like, oh my goodness, my kid just read a sign on the side of the Mass Pike that says yeah. Red Roof Inn. I can't even believe, I, I nearly yeah, drove yeah. off the road when I heard it. She's, we're driving along and all of a sudden, Red Roof Inn. I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah. it set the hook in Beth and she's like, I think I could do, I think I could do kindergarten. I could do 30 minutes a day, no problem. And 30 minutes a day becomes an hour a day with first grade becomes yeah. an hour and a half a day with second grade. And mm -hmm. before long, you, you've homeschooled five kids and they're going to college. And um, anyway, so that, that's part of our story too. I'm going to have to ask about that because <clears throat> we have considered homeschooling yeah. um, for, I mean, various reasons, but yep. um, that's something we have considered. So I'll have and to I, pick your brain on that. I, I, I saw a family in our church in Holden, Massachusetts, just mm -hmm. north of Worcester, and they homeschooled their kids. And I thought, that's not a, there's stereotypes around homeschooling family and they break the mold. So uh -huh. there's hope. There's hope that we could be a cool, athletic, well-adjusted, relational family yeah. and homeschool. And so yeah. uh, that was that was what we pursued. <laughs> but, um, but back to the money thing. Yeah. So that's not homework. And I'm, I am the sole source of, of income. And I'm saying... I think I need to figure out how to make more money. Um, and so let's pray about it. Let's take it before the Lord and just be like, I'm going to release this in the words of John Eldridge and Morgan Steiner. I'm going to release this to you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to give us what we need when we need it. You know, the equation and all the inputs to the equation far better than I do. And even though I'm good at math and I can lean on my own understanding, yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to acknowledge my ways and yeah. trust that you're going to order my steps. Yeah. And he always did. Always, always, always. Mm -hmm. Even when the sole source of income lost his job yeah. and I went, oh, oh, this doesn't <laughs> feel good. He's like, I got yeah. you. I, yeah. I got you. No yeah. problem. I just knew you needed the summer off. And so uh -huh. Memorial Day to Labor Day in 2009, I had the summer off. It was filled with some angst, but by Labor Day, I had a job and God provided and it was a good thing. So, so there was a three month period. How many kids did you have? We had all five at that point. You had all five. Yep. Wow. Yep. In Massachusetts. This was here in Colorado. Oh, actually. It was in Col oh that's right. Cause you moved in 2005. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. I remember when I got the job offer, I was at the Denver zoo with the uh -huh. family uh -huh. and got the phone call. Mark, we want to, we want to extend an offer. I was like, no way. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Oh, so, praise God. Yeah. I, so I'm going to, we're going to have to do a second episode because I've got questions about homeschooling. <laughs> I've got, I have more questions, but I did promise. Sure. I, that I, would, I would, it would be an honor, Keaton. Everything yeah. I have is yours. So oh, amen. Amen. And next time I'm in Colorado, maybe I'll come and we'll do an in-person one. I too. would love um, it. And not only that, my daughter, my, my, my Kate and her yeah. husband, Josh, they built the most amazing podcast room in their house. No so way. We, we could go do it there. 
Yeah. Wait, what do they run a podcast? They are in the process of starting a podcast, uh-huh. um, and they have a strong, massive heart for marriages, uh-huh. and so they want they're they're building a company that's all about um, a subscription service for creative dating. So they 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 provide you with the dates, and you go do the dates with uh-huh. your bride, and uh, they're they're catering to the needs of even even um, like long distance relationships if you're engaged over a long distance how can you do some fun creative dating together over long distances or you know whatever so anyway they're starting a podcast genius idea yeah they're they're starting that as a side business but they also have kind of a podcast to go along with it that's very relational so once again we start with the end in mind it's like i want my kids to be highly relational well yeah yeah so there you go oh i would love it (laughs) I would love it. And by the way, Keaton, I will say it gets so much cooler when your five kids get old and they start schooling your butt in all the strategy games that you like, including chess. And they're teaching you about the Lord and what they're studying in the word. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, the benefits that result in kids, your kids teaching you and training you and like and having a modicum. I will only say I have a modicum of humility. I don't, I'm not, you know, but to be able to show up and go, teach me well, what did you learn? I, yeah. I want to know because yeah. maybe I need to learn it. And yeah. it's just, a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so, amen. Yeah. Oh, well, that, <laughs> uh, the, my dad has said something similar. Um, I'm so sure he has. Other, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not old enough to be your dad, but I, I can no, easily yeah. imagine he's learned a few yeah. things from you. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm already really bad at chess. Like I'm, I'm embarrassingly <laughs> bad at chess. I had my brother-in-law. We played, well, I guess, a couple months now, now. And I had, I had him cornered. There's dead to run the game. Totally. I lost the game. And I, I play my brother. My brother's really good at chess. I play him on the chess app, and I have mm-hmm. like, I think two. They set you at a score of twelve hundred. Yep. His score, I think, he's up at like fifteen, sixteen hundred, and I'm down at like two hundred. Oh. I'm so bad at chess. <laughs> <laughs> so bad but mark thank you for coming on the podcast i really yeah, appreciate that pleasure. and i look forward to the next one me too thank you so much for having me this was a joy well, yeah thankful for you brother thankful you, for yeah. your podcast i've been i've been learning a lot so keep yeah. going well thank you for listening too it's oh, uh, yeah. stop, it's trying to stop the recording it's taking its time <laughs> this is uh, so fun and i haven't heard about this riverside platform before this is sweet yeah i think it's relatively new Okay. Um, 